Hello, and welcome to Breadcrumbs, a podcast brought to you by Trace Labs. It's our mission here to facilitate OSINT for everyone. We'll be hearing from industry experts, community leaders, and everyday people about the tools, topics, and techniques that will make your OSINT collection better. Hello, thank you for joining us for another episode of Breadcrumbs. Today, I am joined by Aleth Dennis. And I'm checking my notes here. Yep, uh, that was the entire point of this episode was so now the entire internet knows how to pronounce your name, Aleth. Was there anything <laughs> else you had to add? Nope, I think we've done it. All okay. Right, see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, great episode. <laughs> oh, man. Um, no, I see, I see you post that every, uh, I'd say every two to three months on Twitter. Just this is how yeah. you pronounce my name. This is the pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always been a stumbling block for folks. Unfortunately, it is not easy to read off paper. And now that we're all remote or pretty much meeting each other on Twitter, it's difficult for people to understand how to pronounce it. So Aleth is it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll respond to everything from athlete to Aletha to Athena. <laughs> <laughs> if it's yelled loudly enough down a hallway. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, I just figured if I had you on the pod, I'd be, be a fool not to slide in something about that because <laughs> it does crop up so frequently. You're no stranger to the podcast circuit. I know I've heard you on more than one podcast. Uh, we've done panels together. I've seen mm -hmm. you speak. Um, <clears throat> so what I would like us to talk about, or like what I'm really curious to hear your take on you have an amazing story <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and you're very good at telling it. I'm really curious if you could just walk us through like the effect that OSINT has had on your life. So this would be a bit different than maybe some of the talks you've given were more mm -hmm. like more technical or the trainings that you've, you've given, but just from our interactions, it sounds like the art of OSINT or the act of OSINT has had a pretty significant impact on your professional life. Absolutely. Um, when I first started out with my career, it was one of those situations where I had essentially dropped out of college due to some personal issues and intercontinental move and a variety of other factors. And I, I just needed a job. So I ended up working part-time scooping poop literally at a pet store. And after about a year of that, I was like, you know, I really need to get serious about finding a, a real job. And so I found a job that was at a title insurance company, um, or rather my friend found a job as a typist at a title and escrow company. And I just wanted to work with my friend. So I went in to see her pretty much every day for lunch and we would go grab lunch and come back and I would go talk to her manager about how much he wanted to hire me. <laughs> and every day I would come back and, and ask Richard for a job. It just became a thing. And so eventually Richard conceded defeat <laughs> and he ended up hiring me without even knowing what he was going to have me do. And so what I started doing was database entry and I was posting things to, um, you know, a really, really old system that was all completely text-based and just cataloging documents. And uh, after a few months of that, I ended up uh, moving into customer service. And now I was in a position where I was actually researching those documents that I'd been posting to the catalog system, we'll call it, 
and pulling documents for chains of title on pieces of property. Um, so California decides that real property is anything that is a piece of land or um, a piece of land with a structure on it. So vacant or improved land, no cars or mobile homes or anything like that. Um, and my responsibility was going back and researching the chain of title for that piece of property that was now either uh, being looked at by a real estate agent uh, for the purposes of demonstrating that it was a great piece of property to buy to their client or to a potential seller showing them the value of their property. And so what, what I would do as a customer service person was then give them the most recent deed of record and pull all the maps. And I really fell in love with pulling maps because the maps had some really great notes on them. Some of the older ones that were done, you know, at the turn of the century would have things like shack <laughs> denoted on the map, along with, you know, the monuments that were actually embedded in the ground, like a copper tag that was nailed into the dirt to show the corner of that piece of property. And uh, there would be other things that were drawn on the much older maps, like, you know, like old grumpy man's house, don't, don't bother him and like things like that. And it was just really neat, especially when you got into like the forestry land and some of the older mining claims and there was like a history here. And so then you'd start to pull the documents that went back in the chain of title for this piece of property. And you'd find that, you know, the property had gone from the parents who inherited it from the grandparents who got it out of a probate from somebody else that had passed away in their family or you know there's there were situations where I was pulling um, documents to show that somebody had come off of the title of the property and in some cases that is that was only established through the recording of their death certificate so I was looking at death certificates with causes of death and I just became like completely infatuated by these documents and the historical stories of each of these pieces of property. And after working in customer service and dealing with real estate agents for a while, um, I saw an opportunity to, to segue into making that history. And this is when I moved over into what's called recording. And I was recording the documents that were going of record at the county level for all three of the title companies in that county. So I would, at the age of 20, this is insanity, at the age of 20, I had keys to all three title companies. I would go there at like six o'clock in the morning before anybody came in to work. I would open up door, disable their alarm, grab the documents that had to get recorded with the county that day, rearm the alarm, lock the door and drive to the next title company, and then be in the office by seven so that I could get all the documents for all three companies together, make sure that they were all accurate, that everything was correct. And then I would take this all up to the county recording office. So now I've gone from posting recorded documents into like a card, a digital card catalog system to helping real estate agents pull documents that were recorded historically and giving them copies of those documents. Now I'm actually recording documents with the county on all these property transactions, houses that are being sold, um, and pieces of land that are moving from one entity to the next, all of these transactions that are being insured by the title companies. And there are documents that will forever, ever, ever be of record in that county with my handwriting on them. And I just thought that that was so cool. And so uh, after doing recording for a while, um, I moved into a position of title officer. 
in the title side of this escrow and title insurance company. And so now I was actually issuing the reports that were used by the agents, the buyers, the sellers, and the escrow officers to facilitate the transaction of this piece of property. So I would go research the entire title chain and then essentially certify that the person purchasing the piece of property would own that entire property from the top of the sky to the core of the earth (laughs) with the exception of these things. And the things that I was responsible for finding would be like, outstanding taxes, liens, easements over the property, all those types of things. And doing that research again, just it completely pulled me in. I've always loved research and investigations and finding of things. But now not only did I get to find the information, but I also got to point out all the mistakes everybody was making (laughs) and have some kind of authority in doing that because the title officer position was essentially the second highest level role hierarchically in that company on the title side without going into management. Um, And so I, I worked as a title officer for about five or six years combined between a couple of different companies. And I just, I loved it. All of the, the research and the, the investigative elements really, really spoke to me. And I was like, really loving it until everything kind of got pushed offshore. And all of the research elements were now done by, you know, a computer system that automatically went to pull documents and found things that had historically been saved in the chain of title. And if they couldn't find the really old stuff, they just put in some generic clauses and moved on. And I was like, this isn't, this isn't what I signed up for. <laughs> like, This is getting boring. Now all I'm doing is managing people in some giant, you know, hub where they're mass producing these reports. And all I'm doing is measuring their productivity and then QAing what they're doing. This isn't really fulfilling. And at that point, I, um, and this is the weirdest segue in the world. I'd started using this online application that was, well, technically it was a mobile app for sharing pictures. And it hadn't really figured out what it wanted to be, but it had decided to market itself as a competitor to Instagram. Honestly, now, like in retrospect, it was about three or four degrees away from being OnlyFans. (laughs) To be absolutely (laughs) legitimately honest with you, that was the thing. The thing was you could share private uncensored pictures to people who follow you. And then you could share publicly acceptable pictures to just the general public, just like Instagram was set up at the time. And it was like, you took control of your privacy and they didn't use your information, store your information or have any of like the privacy policy concerns that some people still to this day have about some of the other social media sites. So I started using this platform um, because I had some friends that were on it and that were hired to promote it. Um, and they encouraged me to start using the platform. And I think I was the only unpaid female on the platform for a while. I'll just put it that way. There were definitely some women that were paid and compensated quite, quite fairly to contribute to the platform, uh, who wore bunny ears in their spare time. So this platform kind of grew into this weird little subculture community on this social network. And I made a lot of friends there. And over time, the CEO of the company asked me to audition for a spokes 
person role for this app. Um, so I, <laughs> so crazy. Nine months after having a baby, I drove to El Segundo and I did a photo shoot with a, a pretty well-known photographer with another eight young women and felt very, very out of place. <laughs> And uh, after the audition, you know, like the direction of the app changed a few times. We didn't hear anything back. And it was pretty clear that that I was there as kind of a publicity stunt rather than actually being considered for the role of spokesmodel, we'll just say. Um, but it, it was one of those things where just having the experience was super cool. Like, it was a fun day. It also made me feel like extremely self-conscious, but at the same time, it was a fun day. Like we had a, you know, fun time driving down there and hanging out with all these new cool people. And the way that this ties back to OSINT is that eventually the CEO approached me to be their social media marketing person. And so I was the only person that actually netted a job out of that whole <laughs> farce. And so I worked for them for two years as a social media manager after being an ambassador on the platform and having some other stuff. But what that did was it forced me into this online social media research type thing because I had to manage all these crazy people on this platform. And I had to make sure that if people were, um, you know, creating sock puppets and bullying or, um, you know, antagonizing other users that I could track them down, that I could identify them as a sock of, you know, this person or that person, because the network, even though it had like 50,000, you know, registered users, you can identify patterns in the way that people conduct themselves, the way that they say things, the way that they punctuate things. And so I was actually making sure that, you know, this random person that we, you know, kicked off the network hadn't, you know, made another profile and was back to harassing people or creating a really disharmonious uh, environment for folks. And so through those like types of things and learning about social media management and how to um, you know, work SEO to my advantage and how to um, get around um, all of the things that Facebook does to try to prevent your advertising from actually showing up to your audience, like all of those like algorithm based things, learning how to how to do uh, proper digital and content marketing, all these things required a ton of research. And for a while, it was super fulfilling. And and I really loved every aspect of social media until I didn't. <laughs> and then it was like the sudden like, okay, I'm kind of over this. And at that point I moved into, um, I was uh, the director for their customer support team. Um, and this um, application developer, their core business was that they developed an, a CRM software application for automotive dealerships exclusively. That was what they did. So they worked with car salesmen. Lots and lots of car salesmen were the clients. And so these were the people that were calling in for support with their CRM. And so at that point, I was learning how to sell salesmen, if that makes sense. So you've got career salesmen that you're trying to manipulate into accepting that this is a feature, not a bug. <laughs> And, and hoping that they take you at your word. Um, and that experience alone, I mean, I was, I was doing content creation and marketing for the CRM. I was doing um, 
support and then acting as director of their support team, which were all a bunch of really young kids that had just got out of high school, basically. And uh, all of this kind of, I don't know if you want to say it, kind of started my interest in information security because there were certain elements to that. What I will say is that in the time that I was learning so much about marketing and influence and manipulation and getting clicks and I got AdWords and Google uh, or Google AdWords and being ad certified at that time. And it was like all these marketing manipulating type tactics and strategies were like sucking me in big time. I was like, this is fascinating. Like, how do I get people to click on my pay-per-click ad? And that was really the beginning of, I think, like probably what I would classify now is like the dark side of social engineering. That was where career-wise it really took hold. Um, and that's around the time that I started to learn about DEF CON and I really wanted to go. And there was like, you know, all of this stuff kind of started to come into view. Uh, kind of like when you're running around among us and everything's in the dark, it felt like all of a sudden I went down the hallway and I was like, oh, there's stuff here. <laughs> and um, it was like uh, at this point where um, where I was like, I, I was trying to figure out what direction I was going to go in my career. Like I want, I knew I wanted to do research and I wanted to do, you know, investigative type stuff. And I didn't even really understand the term OSINT at that point. I hadn't really heard it. Um, I just knew that I was really good at writing reports, um, clearly communicating things with clients and stuff like that and doing research and things that were typically classified as not group activities. <laughs> like I didn't really love working with a group, I'm basically like a lone wolf. And um, that's something that's changed over time. But at the time, I really liked to like forge my own path. Like I really didn't have a, a great relationship with authority. <laughs> so um, at that point, I, I worked for the startup, the app developer for a while. Um, things shifted. They ended up canning the app, the app completely. They just abandoned it. Um, <clears throat> and then I kind of felt like I needed stability. Like I was <laughs> with, with my second child, I took literally three days off of work a weekend and went back to work because it was a startup and that was just the expectation. And luckily I was remote. I worked from home and I had that flexibility as a social media manager that not everybody could do that. And I absolutely regret the hell out of it. Like fully regret that. Um, so I don't, I don't recommend it. Um, and it's definitely not a point of bragging. It's actually kind of a point of, you know, regret and like infinite sadness that I didn't take that time with my second kid. But, um, you know, I was like two kids into a four pack and I was like, I need stability in my life. <laughs> and so that at that point, I, um, I decided to quit <laughs> and I stopped working for the app developer. My husband's um, IT MSP was taking off. He needed additional resources. We didn't want to pay them. So it was me. <laughs> and so I took over doing, like I set up his entire help desk, like administratively back and set up the whole help desk for him because he was, you know, struggling to figure out organizationally how he was going to do all the work and keep everything straight, essentially. And with his team, it just wasn't, nothing was going right communication wise. So I was like, look, we're going to, 
we're going to get all your contracts straightened out. We're going to get a help desk in place. We're going to use a ticketing system. I don't care if they don't want to. This is what we're doing. And then we're going to, you know, make sure that your processes and everything are more efficient. And so I spent like three or four months just like tearing apart his whole company and restructuring it and getting everything organized and um, helping them onboard clients more effectively and doing all that stuff. And again, that was just more research, like figure out how to make this work, use the experience that I have from the title company, from the startup, from you know everything that I've done. Um, I used to work for the company that I lovingly refer to as the Death Star. Um, and I did auditing of retail um, wireless communications stores they offer other products now, but at the time it was mainly wireless. Do you call it the Death Star because it had like an inherent flaw that led to its destruction? <laughs> yeah, essentially. Or, or, or just because it was full of stormtroopers. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but anyway, when I used to work for the Death Star, I essentially just pointed out all the mistakes people were making and made sure that the sales reps were coding things accurately and not stealing stuff and that kind of junk. But it was like, you know, how do I use all the experience and the skills that I have transition that over into making my husband's business more successful, more efficient. And about three or four months into it, I was like, I need something more. Like I'm, there's something missing. Like I'm really freaking good at this, but it's not fulfilling. Just being support staff and operations for, you know, an IT MSP isn't enough for me to be satisfied that I'm learning and growing career-wise. And I got approached by a recruiter from a ginormous staffing company. And they're like, we think we have a role that you may be suited for. And <clears throat> I had zero HR, zero staffing, like no experience whatsoever in that realm at all. And they were looking to hire a market intelligence analyst and somebody who had the skills to do social media marketing and digital like online you know blogs on the website turn their proprietary reporting into easily consumable blogs and stuff like that and i had the you know google adwords bing ads and the social media management experience on my resume so that's what they were kind of like leaning into like we can fill in the gaps on the hr side if you can you know crush this part of it and so I was like, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I'm not really looking for a job right now. Um, and I thought they were talking about marketing intelligence. So that's that's how underqualified I was for the role, which has basically like been the story of every job I've ever gotten. Like I've never, ever been qualified for the job that I've gotten ever. Like I have just straight up sold the fact that I can do it <laughs> and then prayed once I got in the seat the first day, you know. And, uh, and I think it's been great because it's kept things real interesting, but if you have, and I mean, you know, from like the staffing side of things, like if you have the soft skills, if you have the communication skills, if you are diligent and you're willing to learn and you can suck your pride up, you can learn anything and you can do any job with enough time and dedication and, you know, upskilling for the most part. I mean, I'm not talking about like, you know, going and being a brain surgeon without going to school. But I mean, like within reason, <laughs> you can do almost anything if you put your mind to it and really, you know, fully invest. So I was like, cool. I work for the marketing department of the staffing company. And then they throw me in day one and I'm like, what's market intelligence? <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, we're going to need you to like analyze this workforce in this country 
in this geographic area and figure out what geographic, geopolitical, and other factors are influencing the workforce in that area so that we know where to advise our clients they should, you know, invest in headcount. And I'm like, um, one more time. <laughs> and so I, I was like thrown in the deep, deep, deep end. And my boss, who is absolutely fantastic, just let me really just you know, carry the torch on my responsibilities and decide what my job looked like. We had this like thought leadership website that I was supposed to write these blogs for and publish like two or three articles a week on different, you know, economies, geographical areas, whatever. And I was doing all the research myself and trying to come up with different angles and interesting things based on like the politics and the current, you know, whatever, but it was all research. And so I, I really had to like Google my butt off to find things that were relevant, that I could say, that were not plagiarism, that weren't, you know what I mean? So it was like really coming up with unique, original, evergreen content and then marketing it. And then the platform was horrible. Like we used, I won't name them because I don't want to embarrass them, but the CMS that we used was horrible and they were paying like astronomical amounts of money for it and then completely underutilizing it at that. So I was like, why don't we move this content from this terrible CMS to this free CMS and we can use this content management system to hold all the content, you know, present the front end of the website and I will migrate it, develop it, set it all up and manage it. And you already pay me money. Like forget this licensing fee and the management and the updating costs and all this other drama. So within like the first year I was saving them over $10,000 uh, you know, a year for this one asset. And they were like, Hmm, I think we'll keep her. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I mean, I did a bunch of other roles within that job, but everything really came back to researching global markets, determining, determining the factors that were, you know, contributing to the, essentially the higher ability of the people in that workforce for a particular set of skills and that OSINT component and figuring out different strategies and perspectives and ways to search for things and how to analyze that data was central to my every single day for five and a half years. And through that time was when I was going to DEF CON. I discovered Trace Labs. I discovered like the actual term for open source intelligence and the various di different types of open source intelligence and resources. And then I started to learn all these new tools that I could use to do my day job, but also to do all these crazy cool competitions. <laughs> And I discovered the SECTF, Social Engineering Capture the Flag, that's in SE Village at DEF CON every year. And then I discovered Trace Labs and the Missing Persons OSINT CTFs, they were called at the time. And I, I knew that this is something I had to get involved with. I just was drawn to it because the mission of Missing Persons really spoke to me, but also... I knew that these were the people that I needed to get in the room with to learn from. And so uh, Trace Labs announced that there would be the opportunity for remote judging. And I was like, sign me up. Like, I want to see behind the curtain, like, show me how you do the thing so I can copy you. 
And so that was originally, you know, like most of my motivation for volunteering as a judge. Um, And then through competing with the SECTF and volunteering as a judge or admin or or coach really with Trace Labs, I started to network with people within various different, you know, industries and communities and information security and completely outside of information security and, you know, private investigators and law enforcement and just seeing this huge landscape of how uh, OSINT actually um, transfers from one industry to the next and it's in so many different positions there's not really like a job that you can google the description and it's going to say must need to know OSINT like it's going to be something else that's essentially research investigation uh, you know data analysis that kind of stuff but it's not just I mean I tried I did try like I looked for jobs that were like just OSINT that's all I want to do and it just wasn't working um but but through the course of you know retail and insurance and staffing through all of these roles there was one consistent element and that was OSINT of some type and when I had the ability now and, and kind of like the street cred, I guess, to try to segue into an information security role, um, I leapt at it. And despite, you know, the, you know, the, the stumbling blocks of the pandemic and various other things that contributed to hiring freezes over the last year, I decided I was going to take charge of my own future because there was also, unfortunately, no dot job descriptions that were just like, you can do OSINT and social engineering. That's your job. Here you go. <laughs> we'll pay you. And so I was like, fine, I'll do it myself then. And so I started consulting through Dragonfly Security and I started onboarding my own clients. And then I started building out teams of resources, people that were looking for additional work or consulting on the side to kind of fill in like a full scope assessment. Um, and, and that's where I kind of earned my stripes, I guess, and proved that I wasn't just, and I hear this a lot and I find it very disrespectful, but just a social engineer is something that I hear a lot. And it's really, really annoying um, <clears throat> because I feel like there's so much more to it. I mean, I received feedback on a webinar this week that was like, this was really great content that's non-cybersecurity. And I was thoroughly confused because we were definitely talking about ransomware and phishing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell that to um, every ransomware attack ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> Explain I'm to like, me how that's not social engineering. <laughs> oversharing on social media is absolutely relevant. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where now, um, you know, as a consultant at CI Security, I get to take all of the things that I learn from consulting privately on my own with small to medium businesses and consulting for clients from ginormous organizations all over the globe um, with the staffing company. Um, and we did some really fun ones too. Uh, just segues I'd know here, but at the staffing company, we actually did 
essentially like undercover boss type stuff where our clients would come hire us. They'd say, hey, we're having a tough time keeping contractors on payroll. You know, we onboard them and everything goes great. And then we lose them like half half the amount of time that we keep our full-time staff on, like what's going on. Um, and so they would hire us to come in and analyze the issue and we would, you know, do interviews. And that's where also social engineering, I would do interviews with the staff, interviews with the contractors, figure out who liked what, what was good, what was terrible about the company, how they could improve things. What about their onboarding, hiring benefits, all that stuff. And just get them to like spill their guts to me. And then we would send somebody from our team in as like a <clears throat> undercover new employee to kind of get all the juicy dirt. So that person would go in and get all the juicy dirt from the other employees about what it's like to work there posing as a, a new employee. Not that I ever did that, but <laughs> <clears throat> using all of that knowledge and especially like the ability to write meticulously detailed reports has been probably the most important element um, of being able to make that that jump out of other industry into information security. And I think that that is the question I get the most, honestly, is how do I go from, you know, doing whatever it is that I'm doing right now to working for a security company or having an IT role within another company? Like, how do I demonstrate that stuff? Do I go get certifications? Do I go back to school? Do I need a college degree? Do I need to go and, you know, get a CISP? <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of different paths. And I think that all of our paths are a little bit different. And there's no real hard, fast way to do it. I got impatient and just started doing it. And luckily I was able to command the authority. And I don't want to say like authority in like a weird way. Like I'm talking about authority, like I'm Todd from IT. I'm calling to reset your password. That is an authority-based pretext. <laughs> like I was able to establish the authority in that, yes, I can train your employees on security awareness training. I can do an assessment and fish your employees and write reports about how they improve over time and give you valuable insight into where you could potentially shore up some gaps and some risks and some vulnerabilities. And it's not just all buzzword bingo, but you know, actually being able to demonstrate that in one way, shape or form is more meaningful, I think, than pursuing a degree or a ton of certs, but to clients, those things definitely matter. And so there's gonna be you know, a mix of, of things you can do, but ultimately I would say the most valuable thing for me personally, <clears throat> switching from any industry into information security or just going straight from college or um, starting out as uh, somebody who is just now looking for their first role, the most valuable thing you can do is network. And I can't even, and I mean with humans, <laughs> the most valuable thing you can do is get involved in the community and start making friends genuinely, okay? Genuinely make friends and you know, create relationships that could potentially open up opportunities for you in the future. That is literally the only reason that I have the role that I have now. The role that I have now 
is 100% because I put out a, you know, SOS on Twitter that said I was looking for a new opportunity. And that over the course of a year turned into a legitimate opportunity for employment. So I think that having a hard look at what transitional skills you have, skills that can be used in a variety of different industries, take stock of what those are, figure out what you want to do, what do you actually want to do, and not everybody can be a red teamer, okay? (laughs) Not everybody can do all the things, um, and not everybody is going to be hiring 87 social engineers, or one for that matter. (laughs) So try to figure out what positions are in demand, what you would like to do, and I'm happy to help with these things. Um, If you need a sounding board, figure out what skills you have, what skills you need. And if a certification or a degree or a training program that ends in a certification, if that's going to help shore those gaps up and demonstrate that you have the knowledge, then absolutely go for it. Um, If participating in 87 Trace Labs OSINT search parties is going to do it, then do that too. (laughs) If, you know, contributing to CFPs and going and talking at cons and networking with people and getting involved with volunteering at villages, even virtually, you can meet amazing people, Um, you know, and, and I will say that the path that I was on when I started college is absolutely not where I ended up. Like I did computer science in high school and college. I did um, have an idea of wanting to be on more of like the technical side of the world. Um, It's not like I went to school for, you know, French poetry or something and just suddenly decided that I was going to do security, but that's absolutely something you could do. I know a ton of people that now have very highly respected roles within the information security landscape who have degrees in completely unrelated fields and it's all valuable i mean it's all valuable hey there this is tom i have traveled back in time and inserted my voice into this podcast episode this is going to be the end of part one alith told us a fantastic story documenting her professional journey and the effect that OSINT had on it. Stay tuned for part two, where she gives us some really solid career advice. Wow, this has been a journey with Elith Dennis. I've learned a lot. Uh, most importantly, we all learned how to pronounce her name. <laughs> I can't thank you enough, Elith, for taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, where can people find you online? Honestly, the best place to reach out if you want an immediate response is Twitter. And it's just at Aleth Dennis, A-L-E-T-H-E-D-E-N-I-S, just one N, really. And then if you'd like, you're welcome also to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, It's just linkedin.com forward slash I-N forward slash Aleth. That's how unique my name is, A-L-E-T-H-E. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you again for coming on. And I look forward to having you back sometime. Absolutely. This was An absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me on. This has been another episode of Breadcrumbs. If you'd like to learn more, you can find us online at tracelabs.org, on Twitter, at tracelabs. But if you really want to find us, just follow the breadcrumbs. 